0: Helping disciple makers ignite a movement locally and globally. This is the Disciple First Podcast. Now, here's your host, Craig Evans. Welcome back to the Disciple First Podcast. My name is Craig. I'm your host. And this is a podcast by disciple makers and for disciple makers. And we're here talking about group life uh, today. I have my good friend Rick Howerton with us today. Rick is, has one passion. And that is to see a biblical small group within walking distance of every person on the planet making disciples and make disciples. And he is uh, currently a small group and a specialist at Lifeway uh, Church Resources. Uh, Rick has co-authored multiple uh, books and studies and so on, including um, a different kind of tribe embracing new small group dynamic and uh, destination community small group ministry manual, also many, many others. Rick has varied experience as a collegiate minister, small group pastor, teaching pastor, elder, church planter, a full-time trainer, consultant, and uh, I'm glad to call him my friend. So, Rick, good to have you uh, on the podcast today. Oh, thank you, Craig. I'm super honored. It's just nice to talk to you again. Absolutely. It's always fun because I know we share uh, the like-heartedness of disciple making, and uh, we just first time we met, we just kind of hit it off, and uh, it's been it's been fun to do lots of different things together, and uh, so thanks for coming on. We're we're going to talk a little bit about uh, groups, but before we get into that topic, uh, Rick, just t- talk to us a little bit about your passion for disciple making. What, how did that start in you? Uh, what's been kind of your journey uh, of, about disciple making? Well, you, you know, Craig, early on I was thinking about disciple-making because I went through Baptist campus ministry that talked about disciple-making. My situation had been that I grew up in a Southern Baptist pastor's home where I saw us have classes and then became a small groups pastor and saw us do groups. But I didn't really, in my opinion, didn't truly understand disciple-making until I spent three years working for the Navigators and Nav press. And saw for the first time in my life people who seemed to um, have all come from, people who come from varying backgrounds. But when I saw their lifestyle, their love for the Lord, their depth of passion for the word of God, and the way that they lived their lives sacrificially, it was an eye-opening experience for me. I don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that the church that I've been in didn't have people like that. But I had never been up close and personal enough to see that. And so I began to ask myself hard questions about it, about what it meant to make disciples and actually came to some disturbing realizations about my own ministry, that I had helped people live in Christian community but hadn't guided them in those Christian communities to become mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Mm. Wow. that's a That is a pretty shocking revelation, isn't it? Well, I think the shocking revelation, Craig, is that we can do everything we've been taught to do and believe that we're accomplishing the goal. But when we look at the characteristics that accompany a mature follower of Jesus Christ, that is that the, the fruit of the Spirit is alive in them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When we see those things, we see that those things are not being exhibited by the average church member in our church, and especially church leaders, we can almost rest assured that we're we're, we're doing church but maybe not making disciples. Yeah, yeah. And so when you came to that realization, what what had to change for you? What had to change for me, Craig, was um, a paradigm. The paradigm being that if I'm getting people into community, uh, the, the old paradigm being that if I'm getting people into substantial community where they share their hearts and their hurts and uh, they go uh, do life together, meet each other's needs, care for each other, give counsel to one another, As I had learned to do as a small groups pastor, and that's what all the books said to do. I'm not blaming the books. I mean, they were great. And by the way, even as I say this, you can experience some level of spiritual growth just simply by being in good Christian community that has Bible study. But to reach the ultimate levels of spiritual growth, in my opinion, it demands so much more. So the paradigm shift had to be from – one big paradigm shift was there are a few basic assumptions that I know now are incorrect. One assumption was that if these people are in community, that they're going to grow to full spiritual maturity. So much more is demanded of us. We have to be in God's Word on a consistent basis. We, I believe you have to, at some level, be memorizing Scripture, uh, sharing Christ verbally with others, um, building relationships with people who don't know Christ, and mm-hmm. allowing your closest relationships to be people who follow Christ. So that, that's one big shift is from community uh, with no expectation, um, to a high expectation. Uh, at least it would seem high in our culture, in our in our average church culture. That was one big paradigm shift. And the other big paradigm shift was coming to this conclusion, that there are two types of church members or two types of group members or two types of people in the average church, and that is those who say the church is here to make me and my family happy and those who come to church with the realization that my responsibility is to bring glory to God. When a person yeah. determines that that second is what they are about it, as a as a as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, uh, when they realize that to be the body of Christ, their responsibility is to bring glory to God, then they will begin the journey to learn what it takes in order to glorify Him in the various settings that they're in. So those are just a few things that really um, grabbed me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you have given so much of your time and expertise in small groups that I know that uh, this is a topic that's really close to your heart. And so uh, let me just kind of back up as we kind of get into that topic. Uh, Why are groups important? Well, groups are important mostly because Jesus said we should be in groups. I mean, here's the deal. Um, We also kind of look at the history. So everything is the individuality that we have in the United States of America is actually dangerous for in the West for our journey with Christ. We are to be in community because Christ was in community with uh, the the Trinity being in community is our perfect model. But as we look scripturally, we find that, you know, um, Adam was created and needed a helpmate. And so God placed Adam in community with Eve. And then the children of Israel, God's chosen folks, um, they were a community of people. And then the church was was birthed a community, um, and we are to be in smaller communities within that larger community that we call the church. When we look at um, just all of uh, biblical history, we are to be in community, and we are in community not only because it aids us in our journey to become more like Christ, but also because it gives us what we need in relationship to other people in our times of pain and hurt Mm-hmm. And mostly in our in our mostly Craig in our times of sacrifice, I think this is what we miss sometimes when we read the New Testament, um, because in the West we don't we're not being martyred in ways that other people are in other countries, and so we we perceive that the group's primary responsibility at times is to help us through our hard times. When we read the, the New Testament, we realize that most of these people were at some level being physically martyred for their faith, and so when we when we can change that reading as we're as we're reading about the sacrifices being made and the pain being experienced, it kind of changes our perspective not just from um, the idea that people are here in my small community called a small group to make me feel better in my hard times, although that is very important, rather that we as a small community live differently than the rest of the world so when I come back with my small group in our weekly gathering or when I call them together because I'm, I'm in, at some level being emotionally martyred, which is the kind of martyrdom that we will experience, that I need these people because we have a different lifestyle than folks outside of this place. And the folks outside of this small group don't understand the life we're living. Yeah. And so I need these people around me. You know, um, Jerry Bridges, uh, when he describes the term fellowship that we see in Acts 2, I love his definition. It's a it's a, a shared life together, something along those lines, which insinuates that our life is different um, when we're with our uh, with believing friends than when we're with unbelieving friends. Mm, so yeah, we need yeah. each other desperately. Absolutely, uh, Bonhoeffer I think has uh, that life together terminology too that he's mm. he articulated. Um, so so the groups are important. Groups. Community and and doing life in groups goes all the way back even to the even to the nature of God as Trinity right and then just kind of works its way through uh, the church. But so how how then are groups to be used in making disciples? Well, I think because. Being in community, let me just come back to the, you know, you, you introduced me to Bill Hall, which I'm grateful for, Craig. And one of the things he says in uh, Becoming a Disciple-Making Church, I think is the title of the book, um, he says that there are two types of disciple-making. Uh, he talks about Jesus and taking a few people and discipling them, and he points out, if I remember correctly, that Jesus had all the spiritual gifts, and Jesus lived out to one another's perfectly, and he was the Word of God, so the Word was never um, falsely interpreted. He goes on to say then that after Christ's ascension, uh, that the um, church is birthed and that it takes a tribe basically in order to make a mature believer. So uh, as people in in a small group utilize their spiritual gifts to live out the one another's and learn the pure word of God together, uh, checking one another at times when necessary to make sure that there's no incorrect understandings of scripture as we're discussing it, that growth will take place. I personally believe that um, in the context of a small group, you need a leader who is realizing the responsibility to be a discipler while the community lives out to one another's, um, mm-hmm. etc. So, why is it why is a group important, or how does that happen? It happens as a leader guides people into God's word. Uh, obviously, John reminds us that we are sanctified by the truth. God's word is truth, so we can't overlook God's word for sure. Uh, we come together in community to pray for and over one another. Jim Magley points out in his book uh, that uh, the one thing a group leader must do for spiritual growth to take place is to pray daily for group members. So it's important that we be praying for one another. Uh, we're, we are told to admonish one another. So when we see blind spots, we aid people to um, understand where they may be missing the boat. And uh, whenever we're, you know, we need to be held accountable to be in God's word and to memorize scripture and to pray daily, et cetera. So, that that small community sitting in circles is a place where we can look each other in the eye, know each other's heart, and guide each other on the journey that we should all be taking. So that common experience, those common expectations, make it possible in that smaller group setting for us to truly experience the growth that we believe Jesus wants us to experience. Yeah, you know, uh, I love I love what you said there about the the role of the leader. Uh, you know, in our church, that's kind of how that works. We have uh, groups uh, that meet on campus. They're mid-sized groups, but but the leaders are disciple makers, and so they they're they're teaching, they're they're leading, but they're also saying, okay, who in this group do I need to peel off with and and invest uh, in them and train them up to to be reproducers, and and in fact, it's that that mindset that allows the groups to multiply because if you never have leaders emerge and and be trained, uh then then the group never never multiplies because they don't have a leader to do it. And um so I, I certainly that resonated with me when, when you said, you know, having that leader with the disciple making mindset. You know, um one of the things that you and I have talked about uh quite a bit that I just want our listeners to kind of listen in on that conversation is the difference between just kind of what I would call uh, standard small groups and disciple-making groups. You know, you and I have talked a little bit about how they're different. And um, so just talk talk to us a little bit about that. You know, uh, are there differences? If there are, what, what, uh, what distinctives would there be? You know, Craig, I think we've mentioned some of them. Uh, one of the differences would be that oftentimes in the small group space, um, we ask people to be hosts. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. Um, basically, we have little expectation even of the person who is the leader of that group. As, a, as I say, there's nothing wrong with this. What we have determined at that point is that the responsibility of that of that leader is simply to create a, a comfortable environment where people can come together and um, enjoy time together, even grow in Christ together. But There's not going to be that expectation of that individual host realizing I have a a serious responsibility to speak into the lives of these people. On the other hand, a disciple-making group, that individual knows that I am the discipler of these people. I need to be the model for them of Christ-likeness while at the same time having meaningful expectations of them. So that's one of the big differences is the – uh, the responsibility of and the expectation of a person who has oversight of that group of people. Uh, another would be, uh, as we've spoken before, even in this conversation, just the expectations of those who attend. If we uh-huh. know that certain yeah, if we know that certain things are necessity for spiritual growth, but we never ask them of those people, we can be certain we're not going to make a mature disciple. And uh, so this is just this is just huge. In fact, I think this is one of the premier reasons that many group ministries um don't make mature disciples. Yeah. Um yeah. Is the, yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. So, well, so just to illustrate, you can't say to somebody um I want you to become a great guitarist but never ask them to practice to play the guitar. Uh, I mean, you know, here's a guitar. Feel free to hold it. Um, and, but there's no exercises that, that'll help you gain the abilities that you need to play it. And I think, think sometimes that's what we're doing with discipleship through groups. Uh, we're just saying, Hey, be in a group, but there are no expectations. So we hope you enjoy your time with us rather than um, having expectations so that I learn, uh, so that I do the things necessary to grow in my understandings of Christ and become more like Christ. So I think those are those are two huge differentiators. Um, also, I've become kind of, you almost convinced me, Craig. You've almost convinced me.
1: I'm about to
0: come to the I'm, I'm about to come to the point where I can. Yeah, I'm about to, come to the point, I'm about to that point where I can honestly state that it's going to need to be a group of four or less. Yeah, um, I have I have pushed back on that for decades, and I am just um, on the on the verge of just saying it has to be so. Um, I just don't think we're going to get there if we're looking at looking 12 people in the eye um, and thinking we can give them the time um, and energy necessary to disciple 12 of them. In yeah. fact, would you say it's one-on-one, Craig, or do you go further than that? Do you say three? You know, uh, I, I've done it all ways. I've done one-on-one with guys. I've done uh, groups of three. I've got two groups right now running that have two apiece. Um so you know, I just find that it, it, if I am discipling a group of guys, I, I I don't have a whole lot of bandwidth to get into every one of their lives if I have more than four or five. You know, I mean, just five is really tapping me out because of just you know kind of my my pace and then how much time I have to offer each one. Uh, because it it is a lot like parenting. I mean, you you're you're not just going through the lesson and see you next week. I mean, you're you're getting in their life, what's going on with them, you know, how are they doing, what are they struggling with, praying for them, encouraging them throughout the week, you know, uh, holding them accountable. Did you know your scripture for this week? Uh, you know, who are you sharing Christ with? Let me pray with you. How are you doing on your quiet time? Let me meet with you and let's do it together. You know, I. I that's one. I would say those are some distinctives. Like you know, we have groups in our church that are for community and for gathering people into community, and uh, those those expectations are pretty low. Uh, you know, We just want to come and want to be loved and get the word in them. But then out of that, we pull out men with men, women with women, smaller groups for a higher level of accountability. And you when you kind of see Jesus' life and ministry, he always called his disciples to a higher level of accountability, and they had to make a decision. I want to do that or done. I want to do that. But he was always calling them forward to greater levels of uh of, of sacrifice and accountability and so on and commitment mm-hmm. and uh so that's kind of how we do that we have groups for community and uh and the word kind of the one anothers the acts two stuff two forty two mm-hmm. but then we pull out those that are we call them poppers you know people that have spiritual interests that are really growing have you know really a desire for more. We call them aside, and, and men with men, women with women, that's where we ratchet up the accountability. We do scripture memory. We train them how to share their faith. We train them how to reproduce. We train them in some of these spiritual disciplines um, so that they are trained then to start doing that with someone else. It's really a it's a phase to prepare them for something else. Well, Craig, one last thing. That's fantastic. You are doing it so right. Um, one last thing on the difference between the two is, uh, between groups and groups that make disciples and groups that don't, is that they, the groups that do make disciples, I believe, um, ask people to count the cost. Yeah. Uh, so often as I'm consulting a church on group life, whenever we start discussing what are the expectations of a group member, uh, the bottom line is there are no expectations of a group member. Um, they can come if they like. They don't have to be there if the things are not working out for them. Um, Just, um, We want the group to be for them uh, Rather than them be for the group And first of all, you can't have true Christian community If the persons who are in it are only thinking of themselves That that gets real weird Mm -hmm. Um, But even more so, uh, you know, Jesus wasn't hesitant to say You're my disciple if, you're my disciple if, you're my disciple Uh if And those expectations were extremely high uh, Even Uh to the point of be willing to die for me, and then in Luke, it's just amazing. He he says uh, he says to count the cost. He says you must be willing to give up any relationship that trumps your relationship with me, or an expectation from someone that that you think should trump my expectation of you. And then he says, be willing to die for me. Then again, he mentions, as I mentioned, he says to count the cost. Then at the last, of that last sentence in that paragraph, he says, anyone who does not give up all that they have cannot be my disciple. And when I'm consulting a church and talking to them about making disciples through their group ministry, um, and I even mention, have you ever thought about just simply asking your people to read the Bible daily? Oftentimes, uh, the response that I get is, my people just won't do that. And at that point, the determination has been made. We're never going to make mature disciples through this group ministry. Yeah. So, that, you know, those kinds of things get real interesting. But uh, that's a real big difference is that a church that is uh, using their group ministry to make disciples have some level of expectation of them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a good, good word. Well, uh, real quickly, Rick, what, what would be some things uh, that a church could do to be more effective in disciple-making through groups? Is there anything that comes to mind as you consult churches Um, that, man, you'll hear some things that a church or somebody listening here say, man, I want to do better at disciple-making through groups. What what would you suggest? I think the first thing they need to do is simply evaluate the environment that they've created, keeping in mind the things that you and I have talked about here. Uh, You know, are they asking anything of their group members? Have their group leaders been discipled? This is the big one. Um, the first thing we have to do is make some disciples who can then make some disciples. So we, we want to make sure first that we've discipled some. The second thing I'd say to them is don't start too quick. Don't get in a big hurry. It's, you know, you've got your ministries going. They're probably working. Do what you just mentioned, Craig, and you guys have done this so, so very well. Um, find a few people and disciple them who will then so- find a few people who will disciple them, who will then find a few people who will disciple them. And before long, they'll have a church that is built around disciple-making. So they don't need to get in a hurry. I would also suggest to them that they choose a curriculum that they stick with for decades. Um, this was something I learned with the Navigators. Lifeway has just finished the Disciples' past Series that you helped us with. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but le- one of the things you, you want to do if you're going to have a disciple-making church is to create a disciple-making community. And so if everyone is using the same resource for years and years, uh, you have some commonalities which create a community. You have a common language. Um, you have common experiences. You have common vision. So, for instance, you know, experiencing God was so hot for so long. Still is, actually. We're amazed at how many people still um, are buying experiencing God. Uh, not amazed that they're using it. Rather, amazed the number of people. Right. Uh, but, you know, if you're in a room with a group of folks and you're talking about discipleship, and you say, how many of you all were disciples at some level through experiencing God? Uh, immediately, hands will go up all over the room. And then you say, what's one phrase that you guys all know? And that is this, um, join God where he's working. <laughs> well, when, it, when a church begins to use the same curriculum again and again and again and again, they create that common language. Also, every series of resources will in some way exhibit a common um, vision. Um, And so that becomes norm to that church. So, again, one of the other things I'd suggest is finding a curriculum and using it over the long haul. It also makes it possible for the first-time disciple maker to feel more comfortable because they're using the resource that they were discipled with. So that can be very, very helpful. But I think the big thing I'd come back to, uh, just get a little more specific Disciple your leaders first. If your deacons or elders have not been discipled, make sure they are discipled. If your staff has not been discipled, make sure they are discipled. Because once someone has been truly discipled and they've joined the journey and been on the journey for real, they can't help but then disciple others. Mm -hmm. And as that that trickles down, it changes a church forever. Yes, it sure does. I have a a mentor in mine that says everyone deserves to be discipled. And um I, I love that and boy just what you've said is so true and so good and and I hope that those words will sink down deep uh into the hearts of those that are, are listening today. Rick, thank you for your your time, thank you for your investment, thank you for your love and your passion for Jesus and your love and passion for his church. Uh that we would all make disciples and make disciples. God bless you, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you, Craig. For more information on events and content, visit DiscipleFirst.com.